Meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a Songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero thing, our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hey guys, and welcome back to Fan Holes, Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, our uh, spinoff show where we talk about the Marvel comic series Thunderbolts. And uh, I'm Mike, I'm going to be your host tonight, and with me tonight are... Kyle, it's Derek. This is Justin, and I have ripped a hole in the time-space continuum to discuss these comics with you tonight. Yeah, who hasn't? We're all talking from different dimensions. But yeah, yeah. So, you know, if this is like our, what is this, our sixth show now? I think so. Yeah. And like, if, yeah, if you don't, if you don't know the deal, like what we do is we talk usually the first half of the show, we talk a like essential issue in like Thunderbolts chronology, usually of the main series. And then in the second half of the show, we uh, talk about like a historical issue. Uh, in Thunderbolts history that like, you know, may uh, introduce a character that will be important later or is, you know, just something that's, you know, supplementary to Thunderbolts. And uh, we sometimes we'll throw in a, a, a cameo appearance by Thunderbolts, which we will talk about in the middle of this show a little bit. But uh, we had to split this episode up a little just due to schedules and people being available. But uh we have, uh, you know, our good friend Luke Giaconetti on the second half of the uh, episode where he and Derek uh, discuss, what is it, Iron Man Annual number? It's Yeah, I, Iron Man Annual yeah, 7. Yeah, which is the first appearance of uh, Eric Jostin as uh, Goliath. And, well, I, I shouldn't say it's not Eric Jostin's first appearance, but it's his first appearance as his super villainous as identity as of Goliath. So... But uh, yeah, but in this first half of the show, we will be talking about Thunderbolts number five uh, and uh, Thunderbolts number five has a cover date of August 1997. It's written by Kurt Busick, uh, drawn by Mark Bagley, uh, colors by Joe Rosas, uh, inks by Vince Russell and letters by David Lamphere. And the editor is Tom Brevoort. And uh, the title of Thunderbolts number five is Growing Pains. And I will read a summary for it that I wrote myself. Baron Strucker and Hydra are growing annoyed with the new superhero team on the block, our titular heroes, and conspire to a secret weapon they've held in reserve against them. 
Meanwhile, the T-Bolts are taking a day off to roam around New York City. Carla Softin uses the opportunity to bond with Holly Takahama and further get the impressionable young girl under her thumb. Abe Jenkins and Melissa Gold go sightseeing together. Norbert Ebersol participates in a poker game with some of his old associates. And Eric Jostin has a date with their liaison to the mayor's office, Dallas Riordan. Hydra drops a capsule into the city which changes into the Growing Man, a stimuloid living weapon, which as the Thunderbolts quickly discover grows larger when struck. The Growing Man cannot be controlled by Hydra and is instead desperate to find his former master Kang, willing to defeat anyone in his path to do so. As the team engages the Growing Man, Citizen V seizes the opportunity to demand that the city release the Avengers' secret files to him under the guise of finding a weakness in their foe. Techno has Atlas and Meteorite strike the Growing Man repeatedly to get him larger, then saws his way inside the stimuloid to shut him down from the inside. On the verge of defeat, the Growing Man fires a beacon into space, presumably for his master Kang to locate him, then shrinks back down into capsule form. With the menace past, Citizen V privately fumes that Dallas was unable to get the Avengers files for him this time, but turns his attention to Hydra. He reaches out to Baron Strucker on a special frequency and warns him to back off hassling the Thunderbolts, or they will make toppling Hydra their top priority. After Citizen V signs off, Strucker wonders how this supposed newcomer knew his private frequency and notes that there is something familiar about the leader of the Thunderbolts. So yeah, this this the story continues and uh this was an early issue I had. I think I had issues 1, 3 and 5. I think I said in previous shows that I was missing 2 and 4. But yeah, this was a, yet another issue that like, you know, kind of solidified my interest in the uh in the Thunderbolts. And I mean, it's not like, I mean, the plot progresses, but it's, I would say it's mostly a fight scene episode, like, or issue, you know, I think the bulk of this issue is kind of taken up by the fight with the growing man. But I mean, that doesn't make it a bad issue, but like, before I go into like my thoughts, like what are your, like, when did you guys initially read this and what are your like initial thoughts on this issue? I mean, I bought this when it first came out. I remember, um, letting a friend of mine read it at school and he was like who the heck is the growing man he for some reason i guess he was off put by the growing man he was and i was trying to explain a little bit about his history and stuff because i had read some of those like back issues of avengers that he shows up in i don't think i'd read his first appearance at that point so i was trying to give him some backstory but he wasn't having it like he was just like dude who's the growing man like this guy is lame I was like, oh, look at him. Like, he's cool. I was like, look at these pages where he's fighting asshole Atlas. Like, this is, like, isn't this a cool battle? Like, the way it's strong and everything. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess. So I think that kind of won him over. But I think what I liked about this was all the, um, you know, the downtime stuff where everyone's kind of hanging out in their civilian guises or identities or, or what have you. Like, they're, they're relaxed clothing or whatever, and they're all kind of breaking up into groups and, you know, Maybe some of them were like going out on dates and progressing that little uh, ongoing plot line. Like I liked all that stuff, and I I kind of got a laugh out of like the Beetle taking 
a songbird to like all these places and he's like oh yeah spider-man beat me over here and daredevil kicked my butt over here and she's like did, did you ever win <laughs> i was like oh kind of, you kind of felt bad for the guy but then you're like oh well he's on a date so like he's he's doing okay then but um i'm surprised he didn't tell her about the time he beat the shit out of captain america like, <laughs> i forgot where i forgot where that was but he like soundly defeated him i mean it is like you say it's like this is the plot advance any in this issue not really but that doesn't mean it's a bad issue i mean i enjoy it like it had been a long time since i read this so i was like what what happens in this issue exactly like did you know i was like did zemo do anything and i was like oh yeah he was trying to get these files and that didn't happen and blah blah blah. and you know he he does another thing where he's like hey you guys like knock it off or i'm gonna do a thing and and then the bad guys are like who are you like you're familiar but, um, but yeah, this is a good issue. I do love that closing scene with Strucker and Zemo because I feel like Strucker and Zemo are kind of like, you know, rivals in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, they're both ex-Nazi, you know, uh, enforcers like linked sort of to Hydra. Well, like Zemo is not so much linked to Hydra at present, but, mm-hmm. you know, Strucker certainly is so. I think this is probably one of the earlier issues where I... You know how I said I went to that store and bought a lot of these in mass because Wizard told me to, basically? So I think this was probably the first issue that I bought individually, like where I had, you know, caught up to, you know, where I had, I guess, left off, supposedly, you know, and, and found, uh, you know, sort of was buying buying that, the Thunderbolts title individually and everything. I guess my, you know, the the one thing that occurred to me, I mean, I know Justin was kind of going into all the, the, the civilian stuff surrounding the fights and everything like that. And I enjoyed all those sequences, like seeing people in their sort of, you know, downtime, the civilian identities and everything. But I guess one thought that kind of kept going through my head was it, it's interesting to me because I think these sequences with, Strucker and all the Hydra agents in Shadowed, like, that kind of, like, reminded me of how they portray, like, all the kind of governmental folks, like, in the the Marvel Cinematic Avengers or in, like, those Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes where there are all these kind of shadowy, you know, behind-the-scenes players and stuff like that. And it's like, I guess, you know, maybe the notion was to try to keep Strucker's identity secret in the beginning, even though if that was the intent, I think it sort of failed, because you kind of know who it is, even if he is in Shadows. But um, the the other thing that I thought is interesting to mention is not not only do they call out the Thunderbolts, but they call out, like, the heroes for hire, you know, like, as as an annoyance as well, because it's like they're they're, like, all happy that they don't have to deal with like the Fantastic Four or the Avengers or anything like that. But the fact that, you know, they they mention Thunderbolts and Heroes for Hire, it's kind of like a sly marketing thing where it's like, hey, if you're reading Thunderbolts, kids, go read Heroes for Hire too. But but it also is kind of like just an incontinuity, you know, reference to the current state of the Marvel Universe and everything. So, like, I, I did kind of think of... um I guess some of the cinematic movies just because of that. And, you know, like you guys said, the fight's good. The, some of the relationship stuff is good. Like, I mean, you've got, 
you know, Jostin kind of, he's kind of wrestling with, you know, oh, I can't, I can't tell her everything about me, but you can tell he likes, he likes Dallas Rudin and he wants to kind of get together with her, but then he kind of feels bad about, I, you know, it's like he wrestles with it, but like not that much, you know, <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like, he has his little internal, you know, it's not so much thought balloons, but he has his little internal narration where he's slightly wrestling with it. But then the the minute he sees her, he's kind of smitten and he's like, oh, he sort of forgets all that stuff and just goes out to have a good time and everything. Um, I thought the fight between Growing Man and, and Atlas was pretty cool. I mean, I you know, it's like they, they seem to be of compatible power levels. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, the Growing Man fought the Avengers and he fought Thor, but it's like Atlas has the, the ionic powers and everything. I mean, he's a force to be reckoned with, too. So it's like a good pairing between those two guys. And then the other thing that's kind of cool is where you see, like, the Fixer fleece all these guys at the poker game. I mean, it it, it kind of shows where their their minds are all at in in their... I guess when they're they're left off their leash from from Zemo, you know, like it's like it's like, you know, Carla Sofin wants to kind of manipulate Jolt to be on her side. You know, Fixer wants to just fleece more money from his colleagues in a poker game. And then kind of what Justin was saying, you know, the other the other members, they're all kind of in, on these sort of, you know, lovey-dovey honeymoon-esque era dates you know where they're 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 in the 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 initial stages of a relationship so you know you can tell like abe is like sort of lovey-dovey with songbird because he keeps calling her honey even in the middle of the battle you know so it's like they're still in that that opening stage you know they haven't basically song song you know it's like it's like songbird you know melissa and abe may be going out but they haven't had their first fight yet you know what I mean? They're still in that, like, everything's great, you know, everything's awesome, you know, type phase and stuff. So, like, that, that, and that's reflected fairly well in the midst of all this fighting and stuff. And then I, I, you know, I, you know, me, I, I, I dig Zemo and everything. So it's like, I think, I think my favorite bit is the little bit at the end where he kind of tells off Strucker, you know, and, and, and has this little moment with him and stuff. And yeah, he may have given too much of himself away, but, you know. I still think, uh, you know, it's it's typical Zemo. You know, he's got that kind of bravado where he 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 probably, even though he's trying to make everybody else keep stuff secret, he still is willing to kind of shove his face, you know, in in front of uh, Strucker and and make him think twice. So I I, I enjoyed the. Issue. I I really love um the fixer in that poker game where he like can't help himself where he's like oh man like the Thunderbolts are so cool like they can't like you know. I can't even like, you know, do any crime or anything cuz they're so cool and like they're awesome. Like you guys better watch out. Like <laughs> But yeah, like like you said, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, another great issue, another, you know, Busick and Bagley, uh, you know, everything's firing on all cylinders. Is this the first point where I'm trying to remember now, have they had the Thunderbolt on the Freedom's Four Plaza to this point or is this the first time they they do that? I don't know. It might have been last. No, because they were in. They were somewhere else last issue. They went with Jolt to get the uh, whatever the her friends or whatever last issue. So it might be. I guess it could have showed up in that Spider Man yeah. team up or like Thunderbolts like ninety seven or whatever. But I didn't notice. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, because this is the first time I noticed it. Where I'm like, oh, this seems like the first. Because I, I, I guess it's pretty noticeable in in I guess you know, the, the cameo we're going to talk about, but it's also in the midst of the, 
the fight when it when they cut back from the fight with the growing man to Citizen V at Four Freedoms Plaza. It's like now instead of cutting back to the building with the big four, now you see the the Thunderbolt Lightning logo at the top of the building. So it's I mean that definitely you know to 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 certain series of fans that's that's a definite change or demarcation of a certain era in in Marvel Comics. I wonder, like, I don't know if either of you know this, but you know, I didn't actually look it up. But, you know, at the end, the growing man shoots that beacon off into space, I guess, to signal Kang or whatever. Like, is that set up for, like, Avengers forever? Or, like, I can't, I, I was trying to think of what that's possibly, like, what the closest Kang story after this is. And, like, uh, growing man wasn't in Avengers forever, was he? No, um, aside no. from maybe a cameo, I doubt it. Yeah, but no, like Avengers Forever probably takes place in the 30s of Thunderbolts. So, like, I don't think, yeah. but you know, it is Kurt Busiek. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I was like trying to think of any other major Kang stories that happened before that, but I don't know. Yeah, but maybe it was just some random. Like, I mean, it's 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 kind of a open ended thing where it's like did Kang might have not even seen that signal or whatever, but. I, I feel, you know, Kurt Busiek doesn't do things without a reason. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to know. Like, I, I might have to do some research myself, like, to see if that signal led to anything. But we may have to tweet at him and see if he'll. Yeah, he, yeah. He answered me last time mm-hmm. I asked him yeah. a question. So, so Derek, I'm curious. Was the did the name dropping of the Heroes for Hire get you to check out that book, or were you like already reading it? No, I wasn't. I mean, I, I talked a little bit with Luke about this that you'll hear in the second half, but I, I did not read that book at the time. I ended up picking it up in, like, back issue bins later because of the the Madcap appearance and because of, like, Silver Sable and things like that, because I found out they were involved in in uh, fighting the heroes for hire. But then I ended up reading that later, so I wasn't reading it at the time. Um, I just did a quick look. Just, just, I mean, it's been a while since I read all this stuff, but it looks like after Thunderbolts 5, the growing man shows up in Thunderbolts 13 and Avengers Forever issue 9. So maybe there is some tie-in to Avengers Forever, because that, those are the next Um, appearances of the growing man. And then he doesn't, it doesn't look like he shows up again until like 2005 and Young Avengers after that. So, so it must have, somehow you know maybe that did set up something i'm gonna say that his appearance in thunderbolts 13 was probably just a flashback to this issue flashback yeah 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 yeah, maybe avengers forever has a link to it yeah yeah but that's that's what i was i was like i was thinking what else is like i was like it can't be a link to the kang dynasty because that's probably like you know 50 something issues of avengers from now but like a Thunderbolt, like Avengers Forever is a lot closer than that. But I, I just didn't know if there was another Kang story in between that and this that maybe, you know, he was laying seeds for. But I mean, yeah, like aside from all that, like I felt like this is a lighter issue and not just because, like I said, like it's a, you know, it's a fight scene basically for half the issue. But like the first half of the issue was basically their day off. So it's more about character development than like plot advancement. So it it kind of it just kind of felt like a like you know lighter issue. Do you miss the fact, or are you 
are you upset by the fact that, like, I mean, I suppose for obvious reasons, Zemo's not with them, but, like, would you have been interested in seeing something where he, like, I don't know, swiped one of Beast's image inducers and comes along with them and is like a grumpy old man <laughs> on their day off? Or are you happy that he wasn't wasn't involved in, in that? At this point, yeah, I think he has to be detached from the rest of them just for the, you know, because he is, you know, obviously like some of that, most of them are, you know, really getting into this hero thing, but he's like the only one who hasn't forgotten like their mission basically, or, you know, his master plan. So like, I think he has to be like, he is not in a position to be redeemed at this point. Like he is the bad guy. Like he is the head, like no matter what he's masquerading as he is like the heavy, like, or the overarching villain at this point. It would have been funny if like before the fight went down and he was trying to get those files, if like there was maybe like two panels where He's like sitting in the base and like he's like sipping a strawberry milkshake through like a straw or something. And he's like, ah, oh, little moments. And then everything goes to crap. And he's like, oh, I got to get these files. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do like any scene that kind of like humanizes like him a little bit. Like, but I, I think like, you know, obviously we've got. Pfft, 50 to 60 issues of Thunderbolts before he's like in a position to be, you know, sympathetic, I guess. But I do like I I was kind of thinking when I was reading this, like I was thinking of Derek doing like a Zemo impression when he's talking with Dallas, like over the video thing, like I must have those files. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. Don't cough. He's totally like, Don't cough. yeah, I, I, I like <laughs> he's like. But we'll very likely battle more Avenger foes in the future, and access to those files could be helpful in safeguarding the city. It's like blast. Dallas is like, like, why'd you suddenly get a German accent? Like, are you hiding something? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you hiding something? It's like, it's like, and, and, and Strucker's like, and, and he had a very familiar accent, you know. He's like, it's like, where do I know you from? Yeah. Oh, I am from a different part of Germany than you. Yeah. <laughs> do not question me. Yeah. Zemo out. I mean, no, crap. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Citizen V out. <laughs> Did we meet at the Hydra singles mixer? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'll make it simple, Wolfgang. Either you leave us alone and suffer the attention any crime figure attracts from superheroes, or you can escalate this and we'll make it our top priority to shut you down! Your choice. Don't cough! (laughs) Okay, well now, when when that Citizen V uh, Marvel Legends comes out, Derek, I want you to take a picture of him sipping like on a strawberry milkshake or something. (laughs) I, I, you know, because of all those uh, yeah, Dairy Queen I, sets, I probably do. That's have what a I figured. You must have a, a shake accessory or something. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, now that 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 can be done. He's like, now that's that's entirely now that doable. they are all out of the towel, I can drink my strawberry milkshake and watch my stories. Yeah. What what stories does Zemo watch? Like, what what would he what, what would he watch on a daily basis that would be kind of hilarious? Does Zemo, does Zemo watch like Care Bears and he digs the Care Bears there as the ultimate in fascism? What? Like, is that maybe? What, is maybe that he watches is? the Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, 
Strawberry shake. He's soothing. And some care. <laughs> and, and some and some care bear stares. And he watches growing pains. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be rad. He's like, I want to see Mike Siva. Leave me. Leave me to my Mike Siva. Thank you. Danke. Awesome. You know, rereading these is really making me want that Marvel Legends of Citizen V. Like it's it's sell- it's yeah, selling yeah. me a the, toy we, that like from we, the past. Like it's in the past. Like this comic from like twenty years ago is selling me a toy that hasn't come out yet. Like how screwy is that? Should we should we talk about how I think we're personally responsible for either that or or the Hasbro NSA is clearly listening in to our our off-air uh, Skype conversations, because I, I know we've had this conversation before, and, and then it seemed like all of a sudden, with all those announcements of Legends, including Citizen V, like when I made that Facebook post, I was like, I swear to Christ, they're listening to us, because, you know, they're tapping into the conversations, because then it's like all these uh, announcements for things. I'm like, we were just talking about Citizen V, and it's like, and say it is! You know, so I was I was excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Like I wanna, I want, I hope like they have. He has like the standard, you know, ball joint head because I want to take the Zemo head off the Zemo I have and put it on the Citizen V body, so you can do like the issue awesome. one, awesome. like you know, yeah. we are the masters of evil. Reveal. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. I know what no one made me sad about that reveal though is uh, I I forgot who said it in the bot talk thread, but they were um. They said, like, if you watch the video of that reveal, it's like no one in that room had any idea who Citizen V was. Like, they were like, oh, like oh, when they were like, you know, revealing all the oh, Marvel yeah, legends. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was like crickets or something. Yeah. It was like, come on, Marvel! Like, you have a Citizen V running around out there. Like, they, he hasn't shown up in like fifteen years, but. And I think like Sunspot used that code name when it, when he was part of that U.S. Avengers team or whatever. But I was like, you have an oh, actual, okay. yeah, I, you okay. have an actual dude in that costume running around. Like, what's his name? Uh, John Watkins, like the the actual Citizen V who uh, Zemo stole his identity from. So. But in any case, yeah, like, you know, this is another strong issue. And uh, I mean, do you guys have any final thoughts on it or? All right, then. Well, let's uh, I guess we will move on. Like, Derek, like, why don't you tell us like about the the cameo appearance? We will, I think, talk about it in the second half a little. But let's us talk about it as well. Like, why don't you elaborate on this important, super important, like cameo appearance by the Thunderbolts? This this vital this vital essential uh, epic changing appearance by the Thunderbolts. So yeah, so so there was a a little known crossover comic called Star Trek X Men Second Contact, and that came out. Uh, the cover date was May nineteen ninety eight, but it was actually on sale March eighteenth nineteen ninety eight. Its cover price was an oh my god heart attack four ninety nine. Whoa, um, sixty four pages. Yeah, I know, dude. That's it how was, much a regular like, twenty-page like, comic costs today. <laughs> it feels today, like today. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah. So it was. It was written by Dan Abnett of Abnett and Landing, Guardians of the Galaxy fame. Its penciler was Carrie Nord. The inker was Scott Koblish. The letterer was Christopher P. Epi. Uh, I'm gonna butcher this. 
Elopolos, Elopolos, and the colorist was John Callitz. And um, one thing I want to specifically point out uh, about the the Star Trek X Men crossover is, you know how they have those fun little. Well, I don't know if they're fun, but this is the, this is like the anti-shooter era where none of the exposition and, you know, things that get you up to date on the comics are actually written into the comic. They just said, oh, we're going to make these little, you know, fill you in things in these nineties comics. So you had like a little page and, and on the page, typically it would tell you, this is what's going on in Gen X. Like last time they, you know, they spanked Howard the Duck, and currently they're being accosted by, you know, the, uh, the, the White Queen or whatever for not, I don't know, cleaning their laundry or, you know, whatever, right? And so it fills you in on what's going on with your, your lead characters. In this case, uh, they used this opportunity to give you the lowdown on the Star Trek First Contact movie, give you the lowdown on who the Borg are and who all the, the crew of the this Starship Enterprise from the Next Generation era are, and then on the Marvel side of it, they go down and give you the lowdown on all the X-Men involved in the crossover, along with Kang, the Sentinels, and the Thunderbolts. But if you look at the Thunderbolts write-up, much like, uh, you know, Citizen V kind of going, Zemo out! to Baron Strucker at the end of issue 5, like... They he kind of they kind of flub here too because it was like I was reading it and it's like villains disguised as heroes Baron V Atlas Meteorite Techno Mach One and Songbird have plans of world domination and I was just like Baron V <laughs> like that's not his name like you guys fucked that up it's like you might as well be like and uh, my name is Baron Z or or it could be Citizen. V, but <laughs> I am not Baron V, you know, so, like, that was something that I thought was kind of funny that I just thought I'd like to point out, because that was the, that, when I was, I was just looking at it, you know, I was kind of like, they didn't get that right, but, you know, that's, that's pretty much that. Now, I mean, I don't know, I mean, I, I think Justin may have, have more to say about the, the plot itself, but suffice it to say, it's a crossover. The Enterprise, like, basically immediately after the events of the movie Star Trek First Contact, goes back in time again to the 1990s era Marvel Universe, and you've got Commander Worf uh, and Commander Riker and Beverly Crusher beaming down to 1990s era Marvel Universe New York City, and the main reason, I think, why the Thunderbolts are there is so that they can see Four Freedoms Plaza and see the little lightning bolt on the Baxter building, and, you know, the, the Star Trek characters basically just have a commentary because it's you know, it's, it's basically if, you know, if you know your Star Trek history, you know, this should be the time where, you know, Khan was taken over the world or whatever. And so Worf has a line of dialogue about, you know, shouldn't this be the eugenics war era? Like, where, where, where are we? And then they look over and of course they see the Thunderbolts. And then there's some commentary where Riker communicates to Picard, and he's like, in costumes, number one. Curious, very curious. Well, beam back up to the ship, and we'll see what's going down with everyone else. You know, and that that's basically 
the 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 long and short of the Thunderbolts cameo. But I, I think if Justin wants to say more about the crossover itself or or even just the cameo, I think he should have at it. So I hadn't read this in a very very long time. Like I was telling Derek off air that like I kind of forgot most of this. I, I never really cared for that much. Like the you know, meeting the X-Men, like I like that crossover and I probably read that one dozens of times. Like I thought that one was really cool, but this one I never was really into that much. And I, like I should have been because I like TNG and I like Kane. And was like, when he showed up, I was like, Oh wow. Like this makes sense. Like, you know, they just traveled through time. So King makes sense. And then they did the whole, like they tied into like the battle of, you know, Wolf three, five, nine, go into like days, the future past. And, you know, Thunderbird shows up and dies and Tasha Yars in the days of future past. And she's a mutant doing stuff. And I was like, there's a lot of elements to it that, like as a Star Trek fan, I should be like, wow, like I, I like all these nods and this is really cool. But it just, I don't know, it just never really worked for me. I do like how Worf pays lip service to the eugenics wars. Like he's aware of it. He's like, shouldn't the eugenics wars be going on? And, you know, like this is the 90s. But like, I still think it's funny. Like when Voyager went to like Earth circa, you know, late 90s, like, they didn't even I don't think they even like mentioned the eugenics force. And I was like that always really, yeah, really yeah. bugged me. I'm like, well, how could you like get it right in a comic and you screwed it up on the TV show? Like like what's Well that that's why that's why they had to write those complicated ass con trilogy books to like explain all that flim flammery because it didn't line up with the previously heretofore established continuity, yeah. right? But um, yeah, like you said, the the Thunderbolts have a one page cameo, and that's that's pretty much it. It's like you know, Riker, uh, Worf, and Doctor Crusher, like they they look at the Baxter Building with the Thunderbolts logo attached to it. Now you see like the Thunderbolts kind of. I don't know if they're like on the street or they're like flying down towards the street, but there's like this dramatic shot of them. And that's it. Like, that's all you see of them. I was like, they're, they're currently like posing for a trading card photo or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it had been a long time since I read this. Like when, when you guys mentioned this, I was like, why, why are we reading this? And I think Mike was like, Oh, they have like a one page, like, key and uh, key important cameo and i was like i don't remember them having any part of this story like it had been so long so i was like oh yeah they that's that's it but um yeah like i'm not i'm not crazy about this crossover and you know like i think this actually is followed by a novel like this there's a, a novel that kind of like follows these events it's like x-men tng uh what is it called planet x or something and like i've never read that and i think i never read it because i was just not that into this crossover but i mean i mean it's they're completely different authors so like maybe i would like it i don't know but i could probably find a copy and dig into it i know i've read this before but i didn't really remember a lot about it and like i didn't even remember the thunderbolts made an appearance in it but like, uh, like just briefly, like, uh, like rereading it, like I thought it was funny that like Kitty Pride and Wesley Crusher like teamed up, and, but like Wesley was still 
pretty useless. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think he got, like, knocked out or something. And then at the end, like, Kitty Pride gives him, like, a kiss on the cheek. And I'm like, oh, he doesn't deserve that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what's actually Jed going to say, bro? Like, come on. <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, Wesley, Wesley uh, blocked us on Twitter. So I wasn't going to talk about him and the Traveler. I was going to be like, fuck, Wesley. <laughs> but, you know, he, he does show up with the Traveler. And then I was thinking like, oh, but I guess I guess they're supposed to be like the counterpart to Kang mm-hmm. in this, whereas like the Sentinels are the counterpart to the Borg. So it's like, oh, OK, I guess I guess that's kind of interesting like that. That sort of makes sense for like somebody who is in a different sort of power set than than the next generation crew and everything. So, yeah, like, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you suggested this at least, Eric, because like I said, I didn't even remember the Thunderbolts made a cameo in it. But like we are trying to be very comprehensive and like their appearances. So like, I guess we had to cover this. And I know you and Luke talk about it a little in the second half. So, I mean, yeah. Wasn't there a novel that the Thunderbolts were in? Like, was it like Spider-Man and the Thunderbolts or something? Oh, yeah. There's a Thunderbolts and Avengers, I think, novel. Like I, I've read it. It's not. It's it's okay. Like yeah. it's I, I, it's not that essential. Like, but I mean, like I've I read it like years and years ago, and it. I most of the events in it are told from the Avengers perspective. So it like the Thunderbolts are like, uh, not. I, I guess like I I was I wanted to read it and hope to get like some more in depth like examination of their characterization but like it it mostly was told from the avengers perspective what era did that novel uh it's when hawkeye is leading them so like it's probably like 10 15 issues from now but i mean maybe when we get there we can like you know kind of at least you guys if you don't want to read it you can read like a summary or whatever of it and we can maybe talk a little bit about I'm like, this is all part of Justin's nefarious plan to get me to read a book. <laughs> I, I used to have a copy, but I don't think I have it anymore because I remember getting it like when it came out. And like, yeah, I, I don't have very clear memory of it, obviously, because I thought Spider-Man was in it. But I remember like not being that into it, but I did finish it. Yeah, I remember being underwhelmed by it, basically. But yeah, I guess we'll talk about that when when we get when and if we get there. So. But uh, do you guys have anything else to say or should we cut to commercial and then start the second half, which me and Justin are not a part of? We, I, I will steal our space time riff and we'll go away. OK, me, me and Justin will show up like Wesley and the Traveler looking <laughs> like while Derek and Luke are talking about it last week and be like, you know, yo, we have to be part of this. You, you got to you got to sign off with like TARDIS noises as you. uh as you womp away throughout <laughs> space and time, and then I would be like, "Are they with you, losers? I am here to talk to Luke Jackanetti." <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm gonna go show Wesley what parallel lines are. <laughs> I, I, nice. I'm gonna wait for Kitty Pride to kiss me. <laughs> mm, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right. So commercial break, and then we will be back with uh, Iron Man Annual Number Seven. So stay tuned. This is Tokyo. Once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. 
Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Hey guys, welcome back to the second half of Thunderbolts Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning. As you can tell, since I'm doing the welcome back, Mike has mysteriously walked away from the show for the historical half, but do not fret, I have a very special guest with me for the second half of the historical coverage of Thunderbolts and characters from the Thunderbolts comics in this second half. I am proud and very happy to have with me the Iron Man fan extraordinaire, Mr. Luke Giaconetti from the Earth Destruction Directive podcast with me in the second half to talk about Iron Man Annual 7. Hey, what's up, Luke? How's it going? I am doing great, Derek. Thank you very much for having me on. It is always a treat to talk Iron Man, just because, as you said, I I am a a huge, a huge Iron Man fan going on longer than I care to admit right now. And I, I, I so rarely get to talk about Iron Man on my podcast because it's about giant monsters. So that, there's only a little bit of crossover there, but I, I am very excited to talk about Iron Man Annual Number 7, a, a legit classic when it comes to characters that would go on to become members of the Thunderbolts team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and you'll get there eventually, right? Like once you once you complete your coverage of Godzilla, you're going to have to do that that one Iron Man issue, right? Like, so, yes, actually. So, so, uh, so, so eventually, right? Yeah, well, that, believe it or not, my, my plans, and, and I say that because, you know, podcast time, this could have already happened, this might be happening soon, you never know, depends on what order you're listening in, gentle listener. But after Marvel Godzilla, we're going to be talking about the appearances of the Godzilla cast elsewhere in the Marvel Universe. So we've got the Avengers issues that Red Ronin is involved with in 198 and 199. And then, yes, Godzilla does appear in a couple of issues of Iron Man, along with Dr. Demonicus, right around, ironically, right around the time that this annual takes place. Yeah, yeah, so. pretty much, right? <laughs> like, like it's, it's it's maybe a few months before, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's in that time frame. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's, in, it's absolutely in this era of Iron Man. I'm like, unofficial, unplanned crossover. Woo! <laughs> yeah, awesome. So go listen to Earth Destruction Directive after you listen to this, whatever episode it is, because it's a mm-hmm. it's a bitchin' kick-ass podcast. Derek's we'll, not just saying that because he's been a guest star a couple of times. Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, so well, I guess we'll get into the Iron Man annual coverage proper. And, of course, this was published by Marvel Comics. The cover date was 1984. The actual on-sale date was July 3rd, 1984. Its cover price was a whopping $1. It was one of those big, huge annuals that had 48 pages. The title 
is When Giants Walk the Earth. And the writer of the annual was Bob Harris. The penciler was Luke McDonald. And I guess I'm going to shamelessly steal a synopsis from the Marvel Wikia, which I, I cleaned up a little bit to uh, appease my myself, basically. <laughs> but here, here we go. Jim Rhodes spends some time with his new teammates at the West Coast Avengers. However, he is bothered by the fact that his colleagues believe him to be the original Iron Man. After helping to install a heavy scanner, Iron Man flies back to Circuits Maximus, Tony Stark's new startup company. There, he gets into an argument with Tony Stark and flies off to rescue some workers from an oil rig platform that is collapsing into the ocean. Elsewhere at Down and Out, small-time criminal named Eric Jostin seeks out the power broker, a.k.a. Carl Malice. He wants Malice to restore his former glory with superpowers so he can once again cut it in the big leagues. In exchange for his services, Jostin agrees to work as Malice's hired muscle. Malice then performs the experiment, transforming Jostin into the size-changing Goliath. To Malice's dismay, Jostin reneges on his vow to be his hired muscle and destroys his laboratory. Goliath then begins terrorizing the streets of Los Angeles. Iron Man arrives to fight him, but he underestimates Jostin's newfound powers. Jostin laughs at Iron Man's feeble attempt to bring him down with repulsor blasts and hurls him far away from the city. Frustrated, Iron Man returns to the West Coast Avengers compound to come up with a new strategy. The West Coast Avengers want to help him tackle Goliath, but Iron Man wants to go after Jostin alone. Hawkeye and Wonder Man convince him to let them help out, and they all fly out to face Goliath once again. The Avengers use sound-based attacks and teamwork to keep Goliath off balance. Iron Man amplifies the ultrasonics in his armor and eventually defeats Goliath. Unconscious and defeated, Goliath reduces in size to a mere 20 feet tall even though this is still several times larger than his normal size and is taken to be held prisoner in the Avengers West Coast compound. Meanwhile, Carl Malice watches afar in the rain, moving on to other plans as the Power Broker. And that, in a nutshell, is Iron Man Annual 7. So, like, I, I'm curious, because I, I know you're a longtime Iron Man fan, but I also kind of have secret behind-the-scenes knowledge. Like, I kind of know you started reading Iron Man during the crossing era of yes. the character. So, I, I'm just curious, like, do you have any memories of, like, when you first came to this? I assume you you stumbled upon to it as, like, a back issue, or maybe when you were building your Iron Man collection? Yes, that that would be correct. I I did in fact start reading Iron Man when I was in high school, which was during the crossing. Uh, and despite that, still continued reading Iron Man going forward. So so you know, that that shows just how much affection I have for the character. But this was one I want to say I was I was living on the other side of the state and uh, it was free comic book day and my buddy Adam had come down and where I was living then, I was right across the border from Georgia, right across the, the from Augusta, Georgia. And we went into Augusta and we hit all the comic shops on free comic book day because everybody was having their sales. And I want to say I picked this one up probably for a dollar out of a bin in some shop in Augusta, Georgia. Because that that comic book day, like I had all the Iron Man issues from when I had started reading up till the present, but I had pretty much no back issues. 
so that was when I had, you know, I, I was out of college. I was, you know, I, I was at that time I was, I think I was either, was I, I don't remember if I was working or what. No, no, I was, I was working at, I was working at my first job. I was doing, you know, I was, I was making, make, making it in the world. Right. So I said, I'm going to fill in my Ironman run. So this was an annual I've had quite a long time in my collection. And I, I ended up getting a, a fair amount of of regular issues from this era when Rhodey was Iron Man. So it made sense that it kind of fell in with with the other books I had at the time. So th this is one I've I've really enjoyed for a while. The other thing about this is that that I always thought was interesting about this is that I was I didn't really know the character of Power Man slash Goliath. Really, I mean, I, I read Thunderbolts a little bit sparingly as it was coming out, so I knew who he was. But I actually got introduced to him while reading the Essential Avengers trade paperbacks, okay. the, the yeah. Silver Age reprints. So I was introduced to him as the original readers were, as the guy that was sort of, kind of, but not as good as Wonder Man. That was like the Enchantress's little boy toy. Yeah, yeah. So I that really made me like this story because you got the feeling of. Yeah, that he used to be something of a big deal, but now he's kind of a joke. And then right around the time that I got this annual, not long after that, I got the issue of Power Man where it's you know, Power Man 21, where it's Power Man versus Power Man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that, that also kind of ties into your your love for, for Luke Cage as well, you know, yeah. like because you, you would have been, I guess, reading both those issues. I mean, you know, who knows? Like, I, I don't have it entirely mapped out, but like at some point... I, I as a, for a, a historical type issue, at some point we may want to cover where I guess you know Eric Jostin loses the title of Power Man to Luke Cage, you know, in, yeah. in a future installment and everything. But for for right now, I guess the the reason why we're focusing on this annual was this is the first time he becomes Goliath. It's the first time he's using Hank Pym's like size changing powers and that, that kind of deal. But yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember wrestling with it. I don't think I ever like covered power man in any specificity on history of comics on film, but like when, when they did the, you know, 1966, you know, Marvel superhero shows like during the, the captain America segments, they covered those issues of Avengers. Cause that's when cap was, leading the kooky quartet and everything. So there, there, I remember I did have that moment where should I go really deep on power man or not? And I just decided not to at that particular time, but right. you know, cause I figured, Oh, well he'll, he'll show up in other series and I can some, sometimes I, I wonder, like sometimes I, I select the character and then start covering their history as we first come to them. But sometimes I kind of think of it as well. I can always cover them when they're heavily focused and then go back to some of those older appearances like that's kind of how i handled plastic man like i didn't go into his whole life history when i stumbled upon him in the marvin and wendy era of super friends i kind of waited mm -hmm. till i got to the plastic man cartoon figured i can go into his history there and then refer back to and oh yeah by the way he he was in this you know old you know 1973 episode of super friends and then that's kind of how i think i was going to handle power man in my in yeah. my mind or whatever but yeah like he he does kind of get snowed by i mean i guess i guess any guy can relate to i mean they, they do a really good job of covering like all his different appearances up to this point you know like it's got that whole you know everybody's comic is somebody's first comic mentality right. where they kind of they kind of get you up to speed on who eric Justin is even if you 
did not, even if you were not a longtime Marvel fan and you didn't read Essential Avengers or you didn't read the early issues of Avengers where it kind of goes into his history as Power Man or, you know, for that matter, what we were talking about before, it doesn't go into his losing the Power Man title and becoming the smuggler and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 that's that's the thing you you talk about not going to choosing not to go deep with Power Man. This issue is really where he actually becomes interesting. I mean, I I always liked Power Man as a villain in those early days because I liked Wonder Man. And if if you know the thing, what what's interesting about Wonder Man? What's interesting about Wonder Man is he started out as a villain and he sacrifices himself to become a hero. And then eventually comes back from the dead. Those are the interesting things about Wonder Man. It's certainly not his costume or his powers, which are, you know, fairly generic and basic. It's the personality aspects of Wonder Man that are the the things that make him, you know, if, if you're a fan of Wonder Man, it's because of Simon's personality. Eric was like Wonder Man without the personality in those early days. He was just a thug. And there was something sort of not like uh, uh, counterintuitively charming about that, you know, for when, when the Avengers are fighting some really colorful personalities back in those first couple of years, then you got power man. Who's just a, who's just a, you know, a blunt object, essentially, you know, he's not like, not even someone like the living laser who was, I mean, the living laser invented, la you know, laser beams strapped two of them onto his arms and said, I'm going to go fight the Avengers. You know, that's Moxie right there. You know, Eric was like, I'm strong. You got to, I was like, sure, I'll work for you, Mandarin. Sure, I'll work for you, Grim Reaper. Sure, I'll work for whomever, you know, because um, they, they need somebody that can go punch it out with Thor or punch it out with Shellhead, you know? Yeah. So, so here, I mean, this, this really is where Eric Justin becomes more than just a, a heavy. I mean, he's essentially, he's like a less interesting version of the Wrecking Crew, you know, as Power Man, but as Goliath, now suddenly... And in fact, they talk about it in here. It's like, man, this guy's really got a superiority complex. You know, as as Goliath, he becomes a much more interesting character as a villain than he ever was as Power Man. I I feel like there's certain aspects of Jostin that are made a bit more relatable in this annual, you know, like because what you're saying, this is I, I think the reason why he's more interesting is some of the story is told from his perspective. And because he's recounting his history I, I, I'd like to think that every guy has has maybe been done wrong by a girl like the Enchantress in their past. And, you know, given my predilection for maybe bad girls, you know, I, I think in some sense I can relate to aspects of Justin's backstory in this where, you know, it, you 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 maybe made some emotional decisions based on sort of an uh, an erroneous relationship or a relationship where you, you gave a whole lot more than was given, you know? And so he, he is one of those type of characters. And I guess if you, if you go, you know, if you look at like, say issues of the Thunderbolts, it's, it's kind of different because he's in a different environment and scenario. And actually if, if he receives as much as he gives, you know, he turns out to be a pretty okay guy, you know, like in, in context of certain issues of the Thunderbolts. Like if you look at his relationship with like Dallas Reardon, you know, right. like there, there's like those aspects where it's like, oh, look, he's he's kind of a sweet guy. Like if only the Enchantress hadn't have done him wrong, like, you know, maybe he wouldn't have been so 
kind of on edge and everything like that. So there, there, there is that aspect to it. But I mean, here he is, he has played pretty straight. I mean, he, he's got a little more dimension, but he is still, you know, the villain of the piece. And he's, he's definitely a, a high level obstacle to be taken out. And I guess, I guess in some ways it gives, you know, Rhodey a little bit of a character arc in this. Cause he is just kind of, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say he's just starting out as Iron Man, but I mean, it's, it's been what, like eight or nine months since he sort of, took the mantle, you know, so it's like there's still these kind of issues where he's kind of finding his sea legs and feeling it out. And, you know, he, he's got kind of that tension where he, he, you know, the the other members of the West Coast team, which is just starting up at the time, you know, don't really know that he's Iron Man. And, and in some sense, like by the end of the issue, even though he's had a success, like he's learned to work with his teammates and they've taken down the threat, like there's that interesting notion of he kind of still relates to him. He's kind of like, well, I had a a chip on my shoulder and I couldn't get along with my friends, my teammates, you know, and I had to overcome that, you know, but, but, you know, you, you, you're trying to, you know, struggle through with, you know, not having your powers and then you're overcompensating too. And he kind of recognizes, I guess, that commonality about both of them. Like they were both, He's like, basically, what's the difference? We were both trying to overcompensate, you know, yeah. type thing. And and I guess for Rhodey, that's a good character arc because he, unlike Eric Jostin at this point, who's unconscious and has no clue that that's his fault, his flaw, his hubris, like Rhodey recognizes that about himself. So he's he's growing as a character, whereas I guess, you know, maybe Eric Jostin is stuck in a jail cell and he's he's a little more stagnant until I guess, you know, Kurt Busiek gets his hands on him. Yeah. And, and in fact, I mean, that's even, you even see that the, the issue of Thunderbolts that you guys covered in the first half of this episode, where you see him interacting with Dallas and, you know, it's, it's, it's almost as if he's, and, and we see this play out later on in Thunderbolts that the, a lot of these folks, they like the idea of going straight. They, 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 you know, maybe this isn't as bad as I thought it was to not be, you know, a punk and a jerk. You know, not everybody, obviously, but but, you know, Atlas was certainly one of them. So you can you can see that. And and I think that, like I said, I think this this is the beginning of some personality for him that kind of will eventually set him on that path. And maybe that's one of the reasons that Busiek chose him. He certainly had plenty of Masters of Evil to choose from to form the Thunderbolts crew, you know, and part of it, I'm sure, was plugging in the right power types and all that to get that very kind of classic lineup that the thunderbolts have you know that you could see them without the masters of evil connection as being you know new new hot superhero team and they got to have a big tank guy right because wildcats had a big tank guy and youngblood had a big <laughs> tank guy and all that so yeah you got it yeah that, that's the 90s man you got to do it yeah um, atlas atlas was definitely the the strong guy of the team and and the, the again like you're saying uh, on top of that the the huge you know tank guy basically yeah. you know he's the he's like the moose of uh you know the archie comics or whatever you know you gotta have the well, big he's, he's the, big, he's the nice, strong guy. guy well he's the strong guy both figuratively and literally because he does kind of play the role of strong guy like strong guy did in x factor yeah 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 he's, he, he's a little goofy you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> big powerful guy who's a little bit silly a little bit comic reliefy so but here, here, not so much. The the other thing I I really love, first off, I I really like the team that is assembled with Iron Man, Hawkeye, and Wonder Man. And Simon makes the point is like, well, maybe we should be the team because 
we all have something, some connection with Justin. Because it was, you know, Justin beat up Iron Man in the first part of the story. He's taken Hawkeye's name, because Hawkeye was Goliath when he was the big guy, you know, in the in the late 60s. And it was the Wonder Man process that gave Justin his initial set of powers. So I thought that was, was clever use of the characters that were already established as being part of the West Coast Avengers team. And, and it's three guys, again, especially considering this is Rhodey, but this is also true about Tony. You got, you know, Rhodey and Clint and Simon, who are three guys known for going off half-cocked and getting their asses kicked because of it. And, and that becomes, you know, the, 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 the turning point of the story is the realization that maybe we shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because depending on like when you come to some of these characters, like you, you, you can recognize historically that they all started out as maybe, you know, it, it's funny. Like there's this one fan film where they, they talk about the, the quote unquote, the, that guy you know, basically like, you know, the Wolverine, the, the Raphael, the, you know, and, and, and in a lot of case with Cap's kooky quartet, Hawkeye was the, that guy of that team. He was the guy going off half cocked, always trying to start fights with the leader type being Captain America and stuff like that. And by the time you get to the West coast Avengers, he's placed in Cap's role. You know, he, he gets to firsthand experience the, the converse, arrangement of that relationship where he's now the leader type and say somebody like us agent is the that guy you know like right. or, or even in this case if if you know roadie's kind of like grumpy about everything in this annual you know roadie's kind of the that guy and it's like that's weird because shellhead's not normally like that you know or whatever but you you, you know they still have that kind of you know, relationship in this annual. And so it, it's interesting to, because to, to me, I guess it's funny because when I was introduced to Hawkeye, I think, you know, it was, it was, you know, at least three or four years into West Coast Avengers. So to me, I always thought of him as a, as a leader of, of an Avengers team, you know, whereas if you look at it historically, you're like, oh yeah, he was kind of like this brash half cock jerk in a lot of the early issues and everything. And they, you know, obviously like you're saying, like at least the good guys, you know, yeah, they're Marvel good guys. They have their flaws, you know, but, but it's cool that they sort of recognize their shortcomings and they're, they're actually actively trying to, make themselves better you know fight against those shortcomings and and the, you know there's a lot of interesting stuff like iconography in this because it's like you know to me i'm like okay well i've i've lived out there you know like i've lived in los angeles and i you know i i've lived in you know basically the bay area most of my life too so you've got you know iron man living on the west coast and everything and then you've got this iconography of like Goliath going, Oh, I know, I know what'll show off my powers. I'm going to destroy the Hollywood sign, you know? <laughs> and it's like one of those things where you're like, yeah, I, I guess if you ever had power mad fantasies of having superpowers, like one of the things you probably think about is like wrecking the Hollywood sign, you know, especially if you're a frustrated out of work actor, you know, that's probably <laughs> one of the things that's like on your mind when you're like, Oh yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. If I could, grow to Goliath size and tear down the Hollywood sign like that'll show them, you know, or something like that. And then and then you've also got the I guess the oil rig platform sequence, which is funny because we were we were just talking about Transformers issue number six, where they had mm. you know shockwave attack the, yeah. the the oil platform and you had, you know, Josie Beller become circuit breaker. And then you, you have like the GV Blackrock character who's very much a, a Tony Stark 
pastiche type character. So it's like, I, I don't know, I guess because I'm reading Iron Man and all that's in my brain, you know, I'm like, I can't help but think of that. Like, oh, oil rigs, Iron Man, you know, like it's like, you know, there must be some weird fringe alternate universe where Transformers 6 tied into Iron Man Annual 7 somehow. Like yeah. they were a they were a crossover that we didn't know, you know, had happened or something like that. But like, I could see that. I could see that whole sequence, especially if it was like Tony in the suits, like he's blasting me with x-rays i'd never <laughs> yeah yeah so so there, there there's all those kind of things that was you know sort of going through my mind when i was reading this and everything and like i i mean it, it is one of those i i think this was a little bit before i mean it, you know i i probably had to read this as a back issue so it was kind of a little bit before i started picking like comics up from either you know convenience stores or spinner racks or whatever right. i think i think for me i guess you know w- with my with my flighty rules of of what constitutes a a spinner rack comic meaning it just didn't come from a comic specialty shop like i remember in a in a trade i did with one of my buddies i think one of the earlier iron man comics that i would have read that would have been around the same time frame was a year later like i i i pretty sure i had annual eight which was the one with x factor in it and so like that that i you know i'm kind of like i sort of consider that you know to me a a spinner rack comic but Mm -hmm. i i think this was just a little too early you know for for me to have stumbled across this and you know i mean i'll fully admit like i mean i i read iron man runs i'm a you know i'd say i'm a fan of certain iron man runs but i i feel like i've always had folks like you in my life luke where I don't feel maybe comfortable or, or I, I basically, I acknowledge like Luke Giaconetti is a bigger Iron Man fan than myself. Like Mike, you know, who, who basically founded the Thunderbolts podcast, you know, like he is the bigger Iron Man fan than myself. And I, I grew up with folks like that. And so like one of my buddies, like the one who had a spare copy of annual eight that I inherited, right? Like he was the one who had the full run of Iron Man. And basically I read lots of Iron Man, but I did not always purchase them myself. And mm-hmm. if, if I thought it was, you know, to me, I think some of the, the arcs that I thought were cool enough that I actually bought some of them with my own money were things like the original Armor Wars or, right. you know, I, I think I got into it when they did the Armor Wars 2 because I liked Armor Wars so much. And you had John Byrne and, and Ramita Jr. on the book and everything. And, you know, sure enough, I'll, I'll get your back because when the crossing was going on at the time that was supposed to be this huge deal. And, and I was, you know, picking up all those books because it was, you know, Marvel's answer to, you know, the parallax stuff in green lantern, you know, like iron man was this mind controlled guy from the future and Kang and all this kind of flim flammery. So you're like reading it going, what's going on, you know, and everything. So of course you were, you you were, you know, sort of buying into that hype at the time. And I, I, I do remember, you know, picking up a lot of those issues as well. So like, I mean, that, that's kind of my, I mean, you know, I, I probably had a more on and off history with, with Iron Man as far as that goes. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd say now I'm pretty well read on Iron Man and this is definitely one of the, the you know, a, a good era in the character's run and and i did enjoy the annual i think the art's really good it's clean it's consistent it's you know to me i guess i think of luke mcdonald as like the the suicide squad guy i guess Mm -hmm. i think is what i immediately think of you know when i think of him as a penciler but i mean i think he did really good work on on this annual and then i think some of the ongoing 
Iron Man stuff as well. Yeah. If well he, he had, yeah, yeah. Luke McDon- Luke McDonald was at this point the regular Iron Man artist. I've got Mike'sAmazingWorld.com, which is Mike Voyle's awesome comics indexing site. If you ever need any comics indexing information, Mike'sAmazingWorld.com or DCIndexes.com. That that's kind of your your best that, bet. It, that's definitely the place to go. Yeah, and it just in here, McDonald's first issue was looks like 161. And that so you're coming in there and in the 150s, you had gotten they they had had a few fill in artists after John Romita Jr. had left. Actually, I'm looking back. McDonald had a couple, maybe one fill in issue before that. But, you know, Romita Jr. had been doing it for a little while. Bob Layton in there before that. And then McDonald became essentially the regular artist on the book at starting with about, I said, about 161. And then he's, you know, on the book for quite a while. So I really like that about this annual, because if you take a look at the creative team, first off, this one jumped at Scripter Bob Harris. If you grew up in the 90s reading Marvel comics like I did, seeing Bob Harris as a scripter is just weird, you know, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. He, he was he, he was the, the big cheese, right? He was in all the little comics in uh, in the bullpen bulletins and all that. But in any event, Luke McDonald is, as I said, is the penciler and he being the regular penciler, you didn't always get that with the annuals. Uh, a lot of times the annuals would end up with some different artists on them. And actually, uh, McDonald's last regular issue, I want to say, is 195. So, which is, you've probably seen this cover because this, uh, for whatever reason, this was one I found dozens and dozens of times in cheapy bins. It's the one where it's Rhodey's face in close up, and half of it is armored and half of it is unarmored. And Shaman from Alpha Flight is floating in front of him. Oh, like okay. sitting lotus position it it it's not a not a particularly iconic cover but i just saw it so often while i was building my collection i became really familiar with it so so that's right getting towards the end of Rhodey's time as the main iron man because of course issue 200 is the debut of the silver centurion and, and tony coming back full time so this era with Rhodey as shellhead i very closely associate with luke mcdonald is my roundabout way of saying that. So I really liked that he did the art for this. And yeah, McDonald's style is very clean. I always thought it was well-suited to this era of Iron Man because he not only has a good handle on figures, but he does a really good job with the technology. And that's always kind of a key thing for me with with Iron Man. Like in the sequence here at the beginning of Chapter 2, and I love any comic with chapters. That just brings out the Silver Age fanboy in me at the beginning of chapter two when Justin goes to malice's laboratory and it's the big panel on the top of page 11 where we see all of the machines in in malice's laboratory i love all the little detail work and everything on that i like the late it's it's i'm not even sure what it's supposed to be it's just kirby tech but it looks really cool and then we get some of the similar stuff with like the flashbacks with some of the zemo tech and more of the stuff in malice's lab so I really, I, I, yeah, I very much appreciated the fact that McDonald handled the art on this, and it really makes it feel like like an organic part of the ongoing Iron Man story right now in that here in we're in we're in 1984, but it it fits in with the other issues around it. Sometimes you get these annuals where it's like it, it's a totally different creative team, and it's a story kind of set all on its own. It's like okay, well. This has really nothing to do with what's been going on. So it's like, okay, it's cool that it's an annual. And, you know, maybe the story was good. Maybe it wasn't. But it really didn't really impact much. You can definitely see this as part of the 
was arranged to be part of the story. Definitely. Do you have any thoughts? Like, do you want to get into any of your history with like the Thunderbolts comic itself? Do you have a history with that? Like, is there anything you want to get into as far as, as that goes? Yeah, I can talk about them a little bit. The, the thing with the Thunderbolts is that I, I I don't know, I guess I, I don't know. I, I guess I wasn't bright enough to get what the point was initially of the Thunderbolts. Okay. Because I remember, I remember, I remember all the house ads. I remember the ads in wizard. I remember the ads in the other Marvel mags, you know, it was like, what, what was it? It was like, you know, one shining light, like one terrible secret or something like that. And I'm like, it's Marvel. Who knows what this could be? Is that it certainly won't be something super creative. Like there are a bunch of villains posing as heroes. Right. So I, I didn't start buying Thunderbolts until a few months in when everybody kind of figured it out. I was like, wow, this is like a great book. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm really didn't get on the ground floor in this one. But uh, I, I, I guess the concept, I always loved the concept of the Thunderbolts of the, the group of villains pretending to go straight. And then some of them, like I said earlier, liking being heroes yeah, and liking yeah. not always being on the run and helping people and finding out that, Hey, maybe there's something to all this stuff. And, and the, and that coupled with the cast, I was always a fan of the Beatle. Keep them busy till I learn how to use the power booster. Then work. <laughs> Dating primarily to his appearance on Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Hmm where the beetle has he, he's he's really cool in the one episode he appears in because he basically takes on all the spider friends yeah and is like a competent bad guy he also has the coolest voice ever yeah because he is voiced by chris latta who we of course know as cobra commander at starscream and various other characters but his voice gets put through this digital processing and it's yeah, like this yeah. staccato Dis, uh, discordant voice and I always like and he has such a great look such a classic I mean he's purple and green I mean do you get more Silver Age Marvel villain than that wearing purple and green you know so so I always liked it I love that the Beatle was in there I, I loved the look of all like Songbird and all them it's like this this is really neat so I, I read it for a bit I never I, it never was to me I always pair it with Alpha Flight from the same time because the the one the three books always pair together are Alpha Flight Volume Two, Thunderbolts, and Heroes for Hire, because mm. those were the those and like Kazar were some of the books that they introduced when the Heroes Reborn stuff was going on, right? Yeah, yeah, because they were they were sort of there to essentially pick up the slack for the missing Fantastic Four and Avengers characters. Essentially, right. I mean they they even mention in the the issue we talked about earlier, you know, Baron von Strucker's talking about the, you know, he doesn't only mention the Thunderbolts. He's also like those accursed heroes for hire as well. You right. know, like he doesn't leave those guys out either. And I, I mean, I, I, I remember, I, I don't think I read that book at the time, but I know I, I, in doing like a lot of research for like stories I was trying to write at the time, you know, there, there were for me, like I, I've always been a big fan of Madcap. And when Madcap was in that book, I remember going out of my way to pick up issues of that where it was like him and Deadpool were going at it for the first time and everything. Yeah. And that was, I thought, a really cool pairing. And, you know, it, to me, it's like it was a well-written series by john ostrander, john ostrander yeah so like that that was something that i i probably discovered in you know in back issue bins and stuff like that you know maybe yeah. in the in the the you know early 2000s i guess but you know by that point you know it was kind of a 
you know, a mid nineties book that had kind of come and gone, you know, mm-hmm. but, but that's kind of how I stumbled into it. I mean, you know, I, I've kind of gone into my history with Thunderbolts on, on this show, but I, I guess I sort of, sort of was in on it from the ground floor. Like I kind of like wizard kind of spoiled it for me. I went out and bought like the first three or four issues. And then I, I pretty much stuck with it a little bit until after the big reveal and the Avengers came back and they had the big fight. And then I, I guess when they were actual heroes, I sort of stuck with it for a few months, but eventually like once it had that, once the spin, like the tension was out of it, I guess I sort of, I, I, I wasn't as consistent a um, right. consumer of that book after, after that point and everything. Yeah. And I think, I think I'd say I, I came back into it heavily once Tom Grummet started doing like the new Thunderbolts and I, I've always loved his art. And then after that, I think I was, I was fairly consistent with it, whether it was like Warren Ellis or whoever else was working on the book after that, you know? So, but that, that's basically kind of how, how I, you know, came to the Thunderbolts and everything. But I, I mean, I enjoy them for, for the similar reasons that you're saying, you know, that, that there's, there's the redemption aspect of it, I think is what maybe draws people to the characters. Now, let me ask you, what did you uh, what, what did you think about Fight Club Thunderbolts? I mean, we, we, uh, we you know, it's like, what's the first rule of Fight Club? Like, don't talk about Fight don't, Club. Don't talk about Fight Club. But, you know, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, if you if you I mean, I, I, I think I, I would imagine if, if we're really doing this chronologically, like everybody has this joke that like it'll all be dead ghost Derek and still podcasting with. Um, yes. With Mike by the time uh, by the time he gets to uh, fight bolts as they were or whatever, but I mean I imagine we just have fun with that. I mean who knows? Maybe by the time we get to those because they're all like written for the trade, maybe we can you know bang out like six issues at once or something like that. I, I don't know what the plans are. It's really up to Mike, but I imagine since he wants to cover them chronologically, like there will be some coverage of it. I mean I think my thought of that book was like what is this what did you do with the thunderbolts like but it's kind of interesting too because there is that kind of there's that kind of give and take of like you you know like some people it's it, it kind of reminds me of when scott labdell like killed colossus and x-men and then there was all this outcry but then you're also kind of like well where were you when colossus was an ongoing concern then do you know what you like like it's it's like the complacency of like yeah. like I I can be mad at the fight bolts but I there was probably a reason why they switched it up because I think whatever the current model was whether it was Hawkeye leading this group of redeemed masters of evil I which was pretty much the status quo of it at the time I think eventually that probably wore thin on people you know like mm-hmm. Kurt Busiek had had his run on the book and then I think Fabian Nicieza was writing it at the time and it's like I remember buying an issue here and there or an annual here and there or whatever. Like I, I remember, you know, the Norm Brayfogle annuals because I love Norm Brayfogle's art and stuff like that. But I can't say I was, uh, you know, every, every, you know, every Wednesday on comic day, I was a steadfast supporter of it. So I guess you can't throw stones if, if they're like, well, let's change this up and try to make this thing work and do something new and exciting. I mean, they, they, they were trying something. I don't think it worked. You know, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things that's going to be like a forgotten blip in history or at least a much derided blip in history. I mean, you know, essentially, you know, e- even though everybody has somebody out there probably loves the fight bolts. Right. Just like somebody out there loves Justice League Detroit or somebody out there like me loves like the uh, the the new Fantastic Four with like the Rocky thing and, you know, and Crystal and, and all that nonsense. Right. But yeah, it's like it's like but most people are going to look at those kind of 
you know, speed bumps in the road of, of a comics history and go, what? And I, yeah. I think that's my general reaction to the fight bolts where you, you looked at it and went, what is this? Like, this is not, you know, wake me up when they, when they bring back some real thunderbolts. And I think by the time they did the new thunderbolts, that was me kind of going, Oh, okay. I didn't appreciate what we had. And after that, I was pretty much a steadfast supporter of the thunderbolts books. Cause I thought they had, you know, a good writer and Fabian Nicieza and then a great artist and Tom Grummet. And then after that, I just kind of, you know, definitely stuck with it. And then yeah. it, it kind of helped me that, like, I think I enjoyed the Avengers forever hint at a relationship between Songbird and Genesville. And I was kind of, you know, shipping them and following that relationship as it kind of progressed or whatever in in the regular books. And, you know, even though that didn't quite pan out the way it did in Avengers forever, I was still kind of you know, coming back to get the the status update on what you know what's the deal with these two lovebirds right. or whatever and that kind of thing. But that's basically, you know, kind of as far as fight bolts goes. Like I, I guess my my opinion on it is like that's not real thunderbolts, like per se. You know, like kind of poser right. poser thunderbolts. <laughs> well, it it to, I and I don't have anything to back this up, but I've always that is one of the runs that I've always kind of associated with how marvel after avengers disassembled and after new avengers that to me is kind of is is like the line in the sand between the marvel that i grew up with and the modern day marvel was new avengers Mm. and i always kind of pegged that fight bolts run as one of the kind of proof of concept that hey we can relaunch a book as long as we give it a new number one that they'll be more willing to try it out at a number one and give it a chance. But if we come in and make issue 348 the brand new turning point, people are going to turn on us. Because that mm. was what I that was what I saw as a third party. Because I was not buying Thunder. And I certainly was not, I'll be honest with you, the solicits and the information for Fight Bolts did not sound all that intriguing. So I didn't buy that either. But I remember on the message boards and stuff, just the the real vitriol. But then you look forward a little bit, and after Avengers is assembled and New Avengers, when Marvel starts relaunching books fairly frequently with new number ones, especially when they start franchising out the Avengers after Mighty Avengers, and it's like, oh, it's and now we're gonna hear here's a week of teases on Newsarama for who's on this new Avengers team and that new Avengers team. And suddenly people weren't as upset about the fact that the Avengers were getting relaunched all the time. And now they, it's just accepted as commonplace. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could even go so far as to make that argument for Thunderbolts, because for yeah. all intents and purposes, after Fight Bolts kind of, whatever your opinion on it, after Fight Bolts kind of, you know, capped off the the original <laughs> Thunderbolts run for the most part. Like, I mean, I know they went back and renumbered things later, but at the time after that it they, essentially it was new thunderbolts with a new number one and you right. know maybe a return to form per se with, with it's like all these old characters are once again new you know maybe there's something strategic to that you know like like they they they, they put out these fight bolt characters for a little while to sort of give the old characters uh, a luster or you know make the readers realize why they missed them or something like that you know but you know yeah that totally holds true because after that you had a new number one you know and then people were were brought on board for the the series after that point so yeah i mean that that makes total sense to me mm-hmm. so i mean 
whether whether you like the modern Marvel, don't like the modern Marvel, clearly they're being pretty successful. So yeah, yeah, they they seemed they seem to be doing okay. So <laughs> yeah, I, I I think a lot of the folks on this show, you know, there's probably no secret. Like I I think we would be interested in some kind of live action representation of either, you know, I I would probably push for them to introduce the Masters of Evil first, but you know, a Masters of Evil that that turn into the Thunderbolts at some point would be a would be an interesting, you know, cinematic interpretation as far as, it, you know, if, if the cinematic universe keeps trucking along like it does, you know, it's like, you know, that that probably, you know, at this point could could very well happen, you know. So it's like I think I think a lot of us would be interested in seeing that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That, that if if the Marvel Cinematic Universe has taught us anything, it's that most of the Marvel film goers will accept just about anything as long as you seed it properly. Right. Except you know, for so if, except for Daddy Longlegs, who's featured in this annual. No. I, I, I don't I don't think anyone will accept a cinematic Daddy Longlegs. So. Well, until we get that Spider Woman movie, anyway, right? Because <laughs> that's where he's from, isn't it? So yes, yes. <laughs> all all of Spider Woman's like a, a par excellence uh, uh, nemeses and supporting <laughs> cast, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you know they can't they can't all be they, they can't, can't all be winners. winners. Yes. Awesome, but uh, awesome. and and not 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 to disparage the all winners, which is another good Marvel concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is a good book. <laughs> well, I I I don't know. I'd I'd love to see that. It'd be it'd be one of those things. Could they? Could you pull it off for a film and not? I mean, there's no way you could call it Thunderbolts and not have everybody and their brother read an article on their favorite listicle site about here's what you need to know about the Thunderbolt. Surprise, they're villains, you know? Well, but I mean, I mean, you could have made the same argument for Winter Soldier, but there's all these, there's all, there were all these moviegoers who knew nothing about the Brubaker run and, and didn't know. And, and the first time they realized that, that Bucky is the Winter Soldier, you had this, I mean, I remember being in the theater when, when people realized it and they were all, <gasps> And I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there's going to be all those people, all those grandmas that don't know dick about the Thunderbolts that are going to be like <gasps> when fucking, you know, Zemo takes off his or, or Citizen V takes off his mask and he's Zemo. They'll all be like, yeah. oh, my gosh. So I'm sure I'm sure there's 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 ways they could do it. And yeah. there's there's enough probably, you know, enough ignorance out there in the, the billion dollar, you know, uh, uh, audiences to 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 still facilitate that. You're only going to have a small percentage of people that you know, just like that. You know, you know, there, there were those of us who who read, you know, uh, Abnett and Lanning's Guardians of the Galaxy long before there was a film franchise, right? And yeah. even even within that small niche of of comic book people, there were the people that are like, they're making a Guardians of the What movie, you know, like so, like there 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 were even. Yeah. People, right. Right. So so even even within our small niche group of, of comic book people, I'm sure there's st probably still some people out there that don't follow that stuff and would would equally be surprised. So I, I think that could still I, that could still work. I mean, you're always going to have those. I guess that's what what is it like, uh, you know, first world Marvel cinematic problems, you know, like. Yeah, I, I, right. I think, yeah. I think there's there's other things you could you could worry about other than that, you know? Well, and, and, you know, and, and then, then you get the people like me who read the Abnet and Lanning guardians, like from annihilation. Like I was a huge annihilation fan 
and you know loved them in that, and then I was so excited that they're making a Guardians movie based on the Annihilation Guardians, and then didn't like the movie and get called out on your own network for it. You know, right, so. right, right. <laughs> it's like how dare you? It's like I know more about these characters than you. I'm just saying, okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> Just saying, as you did, I was the maybe, guy reading this maybe, when you told me Marvel Cosmic sucked. I'm just saying. I'm just yeah, saying. exactly. Maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what maybe that's what uh, this podcast has to look forward to. You know, maybe yeah. we'll all go watch the Thunderbolts movie and think it's a big pile of stinking dog poo, yeah. and then everybody will tell us how wrong we are because yeah. it's like the most awesome movie ever. Yeah, I'd be like Mach Five would not say that. You are wrong, sir. <laughs> you are wrong. <laughs> Like Willy Wonka. Good day, sir. <laughs> well, I, I I I totally share your love for for Beetle on the yeah. the Mach Five note. So like I and I I think probably because of that amazing Friends episode. Like oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think that was that not Beetle fan. <laughs> that that I think that was one of the things that drew me to Amazing Spider-Man 280, which was one of my first spinner rack Amazing Spider-Man comics because you had the Beetle leading the Sinister Syndicate. And it was one of those things where you you kind of go, hey, I know that guy. You know, yeah. I, I remember him, you know, like, so he, he fought Spider-Man and his amazing friends, you know. So that's that's definitely very, very cool. The Beatles shows up a bit in Iron Man. He's, of course, in Armor Wars, in Stark yeah. Wars. Yeah. He is one of the armored guys that gets taken out. Uh, but he is also, for a while, part of Justin Hammer's Hits Hit Squad, which also includes characters like Backlash and Boomerang, and thus are nicknamed the B-Team. Nice. <laughs> and they get treated like a B-Team. The only way they have any chance on Iron Man is if they gang up on them all at once, essentially. Bridge <laughs> security. Don't you know anybody can fly it and steal this thing? Sorry, Beetle. You're in for a hard day's night. It reminds me of the other thing we don't talk about besides Fight Club is that in those uh, those other Marvel Action Hour cartoons when yes. they gave the Beatle the voice of like uh, Ringo Starr or something like a, that, yeah. or Paul McCartney or something yeah. like that. He had a Liverpool accent, and yeah. they make a joke about him having a hard day's night. Yes, yes. So. Like he's not English. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. That worked for that one scene, and never again. Well, at, at, le at least that's the only scene he's in. He's in that, that two-parter on Armor Wars, and that's right, it. Right, right. And Just that's like it. Stingray. So. Yep. <laughs> you stole my armor, Stingray. Yeah. I, I, that was back when I was a big champion of uh, of uh, Eyes Wide Shut, Tom Cruise being um, Iron Man, because I was like, yeah. dude, Tom Cruise can do paranoia, and Tony Stark in Armor Wars is as paranoid as it comes. Like, it'll be awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, so... <laughs> Nothing happened. Stingray's equipment isn't based on Stark technology. What have I done? All right. Well, I I, I don't know. I, I know we're kind of we're kind of talking about things we're having fun about, and we're sort of dovetailing away from the actual annual and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I I'd say like we both recommend and enjoy the oh, yeah. the Iron Man annual for sure. And oh, absolutely. And, yeah. This and, is this, this is a really good comic i mean you made you made light well, or not light you made mention the fact that it's it's forty eight pages it's oversized. There's a lot to it. I sat down and read this this morning with a cup of coffee, a, a great, a great morning as far as I'm concerned, sitting down with an Iron Man comic and a cup of coffee. But it, it was a good meaty read. There's there's a, a fair amount to this. It's not just I mean, th there is quite a lot of superhero smash up, but there's some there's some character and a lot of story in here, too. So, I mean, I, I may be more prone as the big Iron Man fan, but I thought this was a really well executed annual. So if you're an Iron Man fan, it's worth checking out. 
But if you're a fan of Atlas from the Thunderbolts, it's definitely worth checking out because, like I said, that this is almost like Eric Jostin's coming out party. It's like, you know, he, he was uh, a, a punching bag, essentially, for the Avengers or whomever he fought before that. And now, now as Goliath, now he's, if not A-list, he's certainly stepped up in the world. He's now a legitimate threat to anyone he faces, even, even you know, being on the losing end here against three well, wackos. He's definitely been established as a power. And if you like the portrayal of Atlas in the, or especially in the early days of Thunderbolts, I think you have to start here with, you know, getting, because, and you made mention of this earlier, Eric very conveniently tells us his whole history. And it's almost like a one-stop shop. If you're a fan of the character, you can get this annual and really get a summary of who he is and where he's from and an idea of where he's going. Yeah, and so I guess I guess what we'll do is uh, we'll probably uh, cut back to uh, me and Mike and, and wrap up the show. But before we do that, I just want to give Luke an opportunity to let everyone who's listening know like where they can find you out on the interwebs. Well, if, if you're not sick of my voice uh, after this podcast, and I understand if you are, I'm not going to be upset, but if you'd like to hear some of my other shows, uh, head on over to twotruefreaks.com. That, uh, that is the host site for uh, all of the podcasts that I am on normally. I have my own show, which is Earth Destruction Directive, which is a Daikaiju podcast. If you're listening to Fan Holes, you're probably already familiar with, with Earth Destruction Directive. We've crossed over a few times. Uh, with their Toku Thursday uh, uh, series. Daikaiju, of course, means giant monster in Japanese, so my show focuses exclusively on Daikaiju. We cover movies and TV shows and comic books and video games and Japanese giant monster culture in general. Uh, have a lot of fun on that show. Derek has been very kind to appear on the show a couple of times uh, to cover some Ultraman Zero, uh, you know, uh, the most badass Ultraman of all time, perhaps. Either him or his dad, one of the two, I guess, but... Uh, they get um, they get bloody. They get they get bloody and nasty yeah. with with their monsters. Oh yeah, well that 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 comes with the territory when you've got a blade on your head and you will cut a monster. You know. Yeah. So <laughs> I also appear on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which is a horror podcast primarily covering horror film, but we cover other aspects of horror as well. I do that show with my brother. Jay Giaconetti and two true freaks OG Chris Honeywell and the hair metal hero Chris Tyler. And the final show I'm on is called Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there is a podcast on the internet about professional wrestling. <laughs> uh, I said this, I said this uh, to uh, another individual I was recording with uh, a little while ago, and I said, uh, I think besides comic books, there may be more podcasts about pro wrestling than any other topic. But now we got one, too. So that's myself, my brother Jason, and uh, the hair metal hero Chris Tyler talking about pro wrestling uh, as, as only the three of us can, I guess. And all those shows can be found on twotruefreaks.com. So please go and give them a listen. I'd really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I, I recommend all of them. They're all really, really fun shows. I enjoy listening to them all. And everybody that Luke works with is really great. And and then when Luke does his solo shows, they're also equally awesome. So go definitely go check all those uh, podcasts out. And I think what we'll do now is we'll we'll turn it over We'll do the doo -doo 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 -doo, and we'll we'll get back to the the regularly uh, 
scheduled Thunderbolts coverage and and we'll see ourselves out. But uh, thanks so much for coming on, Luke. I, I really appreciate this. And hopefully we, we can get you back on for some other things, whether they be Iron Man or Luke Cage or what have you. Because, you know, at some point, Luke Cage takes up the uh, the Thunderbolts mantle as well. So so there, right. there's definitely there's, there's got to be some some Luke Giaconetti in our future as well, as far as guest spots. So well, I look forward I... to to future appearances. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. This is a blast. As I said, I love getting the opportunity to talk about Iron Man. And as far as Luke Cage, I've always said us Luke's got to stick together. You know, Luke Cage, <laughs> Luke Skywalker, Luke Jack and Eddie, we all got to, we got to, we, you know, we got to look out for each other. So that that's, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm Luke, to, I'd totally be I'm, down with that. But I'm like, Luke, I, Mac, I, Luke McDonald is Luke McDonald, very happy absolutely. to hear that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, but again, any, any opportunity to talk about Iron Man is, is a, a welcome opportunity for me. So I appreciate you having me on and looking forward to hearing more Thunderbolts talk going forward. Cool. All right, guys. Hello, ladies. Listen to your man. Now listen to me. Now listen to your man. Now listen to me. Sadly, he isn't me. But if you stop downloading lame-ass podcasts and switch to Two True Freaks, he could learn to sound like me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on the Enterprise with a man your man could sound like. What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's a long box filled with comics that you love. Look again. The comics are now episodes. Anything is possible when your man listens to two true freaks and not lame asses. I'm on a tauntaun. And that was Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning. Uh, thanks for listening. If you like this show, if you want to check out more of us, we have a myriad of shows. Uh, Mobile Suit Mondays, uh, Transformers Tuesdays, uh, Toku Thursdays, Comics Motherfucker, Do You Read Them, um, Sentai Saturdays, Big in Japan, and of course the Fan Holes podcast proper. So uh, thanks to special guest Luke Jack and Eddie. Uh, check his stuff out. And uh, until the next time, peace. I was dreaming of bigger things in- Wanna leave my old life behind Not a yes sir, not a follower Fit the box, fit the mold, have a seat in the foyer Take a number, I was lightning before the thunder Thunder, thunder get started did you read that star trek x-men um i mean i've i've read it a long time ago like the the main reason why i was i i I think like we had plans to 
mention it. And I think my plan, <clears throat> since I, I'm always covering like the quote unquote historical stuff for this other stuff, like besides the Thunderbolts comic proper, I think my idea was just going to be like, I just wanted to mention that like the Thunderbolts show up for like a panel, for, right? Like, you know, no real reason to establish like, this is 1990s Marvel 616 Earth. And then there was this little bit in the, um, you know how they did those 90s Marvel, like, get readers up to speed without yes. sticking it in the story thing? And yeah, I, I did notice... the Marvel Universe, yeah. Yeah, and it was funny because in the description, it's like, it's like, villains disguised as heroes, Baron V. And I'm like, it, that's not his name. Like, no, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, but I'm like, okay, like, like it, you know, that that's fine, I guess. Like, you yeah, know. Hey. Sure. I, I was hoping we would, I, I wanted to, if we were going to cover it, I was going to say, you know, I really like this because it's not just a gratuitous a crossover appearance. They're, they're really integral to the story here. And you can't tell this story without the Thunderbolts. <laughs> and all that I mean, hell, this, this may very well just be the coverage of it. I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, because it's like that, that, I mean, that's basically all I was going to talk about really was that they, you know, they show up for a panel you know, after like Riker and Troy or no, it was Riker and Crusher and uh, War theme down. Right. And then yeah. instead of seeing the Fantastic Four building, it's, you know, the Baxter building with the Thunderbolts lightning bolt on it or whatever. And that, that I mean, that was basically it. Like, like, you know, it's, it's like one of those things like that. That's why this is not just the other issue in the historical thing, because I, right. I, I don't think it's like worth covering. I mean, no. I suppose you could you could say like, oh, well, you know, you've got um you know, you've got Kang in it and, and other things like that. But I mean, it's, it, you know, it's not, I, I, I don't think it's really essential to the Thunderbolts no. narrative other than no. just saying, Hey, look, there they are. Like <laughs> they, they were there for a minute and now they're not, you know, it's, it's yeah. kind of abrupt. Like, it's funny. Cause like, it's like, what do they do exactly? It's like, Oh, Oh, you saw costume people. Number one. All right. Well, <laughs> okay. We'll check in with the other teams and see if they see any costume people, you know? And it's just like, that's right. basically it. Right. That was absolutely thrilling.